Thank you. Okay, good morning. Uh, if you were here last week, you know we just started a sort of short mini-series of three sessions on what we are as a people, what we are as a church, what, what, you know, what brings us together. Because as a church, we are people. That is all we are. We're not a building. We're not this place. We are a group of people that come together and that Jesus says he will build his church. So, so as a church, what are we? And if you were here last week, John talked about we are a people for God, a people that God wants to dwell in and a people that God wants to build into a temple that he will dwell in. So God wants to dwell amongst us. And this morning we're going to look beyond that. We're going to start to look outwards. We're going to look at ourselves as a people for the world. So God calls us to be a people for the world. And we're going to do that. We're going to go into Acts 8, um, which is on page 1101 in the Church Bibles. Hopefully this will work. Okay, so before we read that, I just want to say that actually during, during this week, whilst preparing for this, it was particularly at home group, um, where I just really felt this had to be, it should be a liberating word for us. But just to say actually on home group point of view, that I hope you're part of a home group. If you're not, I encourage you to be one. I'm hugely blessed by being the home group we are. There was 11 of us this week, and it was just an amazing evening. Uh, and just in the time of prayer, I really felt this. And I'd like to also thank Mary for leading us so much, such a blessing to us week after week. So it's really great. But during that time, really felt that this week had to be a liberating word because as we see ourselves as a people for God, when we start to see ourselves as a people for the world, it starts to become potentially a burden. It starts to be, oh, I've got to tell my friends about Jesus. Oh, I have to you know, hear, hear conversations. Well, I try to talk about it it's at work. But I, and it becomes like a burden. And we sort of get to this situation where we end up with this rucksack on our back called evangelism. And it's dragging us down. I must, I must, I must. And I really, really felt strongly we needed to be liberated from that in seeing what it is to be called in this situation. God does not call us to mission. He invites us to participate in his mission. He doesn't call us to mission. He invites us to participate in his mission. And I believe as we look at this, we'll start to see that. And we're going to look at a gentleman called Philip uh, in the New Testament. And we'll start to see how he was a person for the world, as a follower of Jesus Christ. He was in the world being that person. So I just pray that we will be liberated by this word this morning. So on page 1101, so, so Acts 8, uh, the beginning. Um, so the context of this is Jesus has been killed. Jesus has been resurrected. He's been seen by the disciples, but he's now ascended into heaven. The Holy Spirit has fallen on these people at Pentecost. And the church is blossoming. The church is just growing unbelievably in Jerusalem. But of course that leads to persecution. And the first line is, and Saul approved of their killing him. So what's just happened is um, Stephen, one of the disciples, has just been stoned to death for being a Christian. And so it carries on. And it says, so on that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. 
going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. So, so Philip is one of those who's been scattered. He's, he's, he's outside of Jerusalem. He's in Samaria, which is a region to the north of Jerusalem. We'll do a bit of geography in a minute. Um, so that. But we're now going to jump on. There's a whole section here, which is really, really interesting, but we haven't got time to go in it. Simon the Sorcerer, and you'll see how, you know, the, the story of baptism and repentance. But we're going to go on to Philip, because Philip is our example this morning. So we're going to go to verse 26, which is on the right-hand column at the bottom. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. And on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candake, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can he, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him in the chariot. And this is the passage of scripture that the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And at the bottom, it's in, in little print at the bottom at 37, it says, If you believe with all your heart, said Philip, you may. And the eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him anymore, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azutus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So you see in this passage, Philip goes and he ends up baptizing this, this Ethiopian. And we're going to baptize people here this morning and it's just an amazing opportunity to, to do that. But as we do that, we're just going to concentrate a bit on this passage of Philip and just see what it was that he was doing as a people for the world. So I think as we look at this, I think there's two things. One, we need to think about that invitation. That invitation to participate in God's mission. And then as we do that, I think there's, there's a question we need to go to. And particularly as we look at Philip, there's a real question on, that comes from this. And there's a couple of questions in between that. But when we think about participating in God's mission, what I want to put it in a different way. And put it as the invitation to be an angel to someone. Now, we see an angel in this passage. An angel starts off this second part of the passage um, with, with Philip. The question is, what does an angel do? An angel 
comes to the right place. It comes at the right time, and it carries something from God. That's all an angel does. Now, in this place, we don't know whether this angel that starts off this story is an angel from the angelic host that comes down, which they do. We know that. The passage of Scripture tells us very clearly that it does. But we don't know, actually, in this case, it wasn't just somebody delivering something from God to Philip at that moment that says, Philip, I think you should be down in the service station outside Jerusalem. And Philip said, okay, I'll go. And in a sense, that's what happens. Philip goes. And what do we see him? We see him go there. He finds that there's an Ethiopian sitting in a chariot. The Holy Spirit says to Philip, go stand by that chariot. So he goes to the chariot and he hears him speaking aloud. That's what they would have done at the time. They would have read aloud. And he starts the conversation. And at that point, Philip becomes an angel to that Ethiopian. Because Philip is now in the right place. He's there at the right time. And what we see him is deliver something from God. And in a way, our translations, if we go to verse 35, um, slightly draw back from, from what is actually in the original Greek. It says, then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture. The Greek actually says, Philip opened his mouth. And then in this very passage. And I would suggest actually at that point, Philip may not even known what was going to come out of his mouth when he opened that mouth. Because he didn't actually know why he'd gone to this road. He didn't know why he'd come to this Ethiopian. And so when he opened his mouth, what came out was this that led this Ethiopian to say, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Baptize me here. Baptize me now. So, so in effect, that's a Philip. So if you've, if you've met angels on your journey, <clears throat> and I have, and I was going to say I'd met one, but actually I met another one this morning, which is really interesting, but people who just come into your life at that exact moment that God wants them to. We were looking, we were moving from um, Buckinghamshire to Hampshire. We were looking at houses, and we looked at one house, and we thought, oh, we should move here. This looks like a good house. But we were a bit worried. It backed onto a car park and a playground, and we thought, well, it's full of people hanging around at night. So we were staying down somewhere locally, and I said, well, I'll go there in the evening and see if anything's happening. So half past ten at night, I drove to this car park, and I parked up, and <clears throat> there was nobody there. It was quiet as could be. It was a village, little village, lovely. I said, oh, it's amazing. That's fine then. But as I stood there, a car pulled up outside. I didn't come in the car park, and this chap walked in, and he said, oh, are those kids with the cars around? And I went, no. Oh, we have terrible trouble with boy racers around here. They're always hanging around. And I went, oh. And then when I looked, he'd gone. I mean, he probably just got back in his car and driven off, but to me, he'd gone. And actually, when I read this passage of Philip at the end, all of a sudden it says, well, Philip had gone. Because at that point, Philip had known that he'd come to this place at the right time. He'd come at the right place. And he'd done what God had asked him to do. And if you've ever experienced that, if you've ever experienced that spirit, as you come into that place, you see God at work as those two people come together. But at the moment you're done, you walk away. And as you walk away, you're not thinking about the discipleship of this person for the rest of their life. You're not thinking about what happens to them next. You just realize you've seen God do something. And you suddenly realize you were part of it. And so you walk away. And I describe it... 
It's a sort of scrape me off the ceiling moment when you suddenly come out and you just realize you've been in the very presence of God. But in effect, preparing for this, you realize you've been an angel for the Lord. We participated in God's mission. We've come into it. So, so, so what's... Well, let's, let's first of all, let's think about where. So I said, right, place. When we talk about mission, we quite often get sort of in a mindset that mission happens out there. You know, and, and in the earliest centuries, we would have said, oh, mission, we send missionaries to the world, and they do mission. We go to church, they do mission. Now, we don't do that here, and that's good. We, we have global partners who we send to far parts of the globe. But where is mission happening? So I've been having a bit of play with a bit of geography. So this is a map. I'm probably in the way, aren't I? Okay, so I put some places on. This is Jerusalem here. Um, Samaria, the city of Samaria is up there, but a city in Samaria. So the, the region to the north of Jerusalem is, is Samaria. Am I in the way of people? No, cool. Um, so this is the desert road to Gaza. Um, there's a possible two ways to go to Gaza. I, I would suggest actually go this way. One of the reasons for that is I feel that Gaza's down here on the coast, and Azutus, where uh, Philip ends up, is actually en route. Now, it's possible that the other route was used. We don't know how Philip... Did Philip get drawn away by the Holy Spirit and planted in Azutus? Possible. But actually, did he end up in Azutus? That's, again, highly possible. And finally, ends up in Caesarea up there. So this is where um, Philip ends up. And we only see Philip three times in Acts. You know, when you read about Philip, and you read that first bit of the passage, it sounds like Jesus. If you replace Philip with Jesus, you wouldn't bat an eyelid to the story. You go, yes, he just healed people, and then he just delivered demons, and he preached the gospel. But actually, it's Philip. But we only see him three times. We're going to go back and see where we start. But at the end, Philip ends up in Caesarea, and when Saul, who was persecuting, comes back as Paul, a huge, strong follower and a writer of much of this New Testament, comes back. He comes to Caesarea, and he stays with Philip. Uh, And I like this bit, because he stays with Philip, and Philip, by that time, has four daughters. So four children is a good number. If you don't know, I have four children. Um, Am I all prophesying? So, you know, pray for your children that that's what they would be doing. So so Philip not only spreads the gospel around here, he spreads it and his children spread it too. So that's that's where we see see Philip in this journey. So what I thought is, well, okay, that's fine. That's a picture of the Middle East. I I don't really know what that is. So I had a little bit of play with this. Hopefully it's going to work. We take that away and we turn it on its side because we live on the south coast. We don't live on the west coast. So I thought, well, if I turned it round and start to put some places on it, see, if we make Winchester, Jerusalem... Now, you're laughing because you're probably having the same thought as me. Well, it's on a hill. It's got some nice buildings and they think very highly of themselves. So <laughs> it's perfectly reasonable to equate it with Jerusalem. But, you know, don't, get, don't carry that too far, you know, because you, know, you don't need to head to the temple in Jerusalem. Um, so carry on. So then Salisbury becomes Samaria. So that's as far as Philip gets uh, spread. Um, then I put a few other places on there. So, so Bognor, oops, go back. Sorry. So Bognor Regis, it would be equivalent to uh, where the Ethiopian is going. So the Ethiopian, in his chariot, is on his way to Bognor Regis. We don't know why he's going to Bognor Regis. <laughs> Philip ends up in Havant. Um, and also, and, and so, so, so we see that finally... Philip's journey goes from Bognor Regis all the way to Bournemouth, or a bit further than Bournemouth, so um, Caesarea is probably a little bit further than Bournemouth. But that is the limit of this journey. That is the missionary journey of the dispersed Philip 
cover. So if we put our own map behind that, hopefully, we'll see that's the region we're talking about. Now, we live in Southampton. How many people here work in Winchester? Excellent. And there's a few. Do, do, some, do some go to university in Bournemouth or Bognor Regis? Some work in Bournemouth. Yes. Do some of us go to Salisbury every day or to haven't? This is our patch. The where is here. The where for Philip was where he was. So if the Lord calls us to the services on the M27, looking for a man in a green coat in a Tesla, then maybe that's where he's called us to. You know, to be called to participate in this mission does not necessarily mean to go off miles. God's mission is here. It is a global one. So, so that's the where. So then we start to look at Philip. Well, what else have we got about him? And I would say there's two key things. He was available and he was willing. He was available to go. He, he, he went. When asked to when, when the angel said to him, we'll go to this place, he, he, he went and he was willing. And what he was willing to do was go with nothing. He went and stood in that place with no idea what he was standing in that place for. And that's often our problem. Often we think, well, okay, I'll go if you tell me where I'm going, what I'm going to do when I get there, and what I'm going to say. And the Lord just doesn't work like that so much. The Lord takes us on a journey, and he says, I've got stuff going on. Will you come on that journey? Will you come with me to this place? And when we'll get there, we'll see what would happen. And will you go up to that person? And, of course, the conversation starts. Philip starts this conversation because it's easy, because you're reading Isaiah. So, oh, yeah, right, you know, I understand. But at that point in the conversation, then the Holy Spirit says, this is what we're going to share. And of course we see it unfold into that way. So, so, so Philip is available and he's willing. So you might look at it and you go, yeah, but I'm not like Philip. You know, I mean, just imagine what, you know, he can do all this stuff. Where does it all come from? So what I want to do is go back to where Philip joins the story. So if we turn two pages back, um, yes, two pages back to 1098, to uh, Acts 6. So this is a bit early on in the story. Um, you know, the church is growing like crazy at that moment. Um, and, you know, there's a challenge. There's a, how do we deal with this? And we need the Holy Spirit to deal with it. You'll see that in the passage. And actually, it's a problem that we sometimes have in churches. Sometimes things grow and we've got to work out how to deal with it. So in there, so it's chapter 6. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to the prayer and the ministry of the word. The proposal pleased the group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Stephen is stoned to death in the next chapter because he's a Christian. But we carry on. Also Philip. And it goes on. Prochorus, Nicanor, Timion, Parmenes and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert 
Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And so the word of God spread. The number of disciples to Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Philip is chosen to wait on tables. Can I wait on tables? Yeah, I can do that. I can wait. Can we wait on tables? It wasn't a great calling. He was selected to wait on tables. So, and this is the first point that Philip appears anywhere in this story. He's become a follower of Jesus. And all of a sudden they say, Philip, we need you in this ministry. We need you to participate. And so he does that. But there's something really, really intriguing. So they say, well, okay, so this Philip is guy, but what's going on? Well, it says they were chosen because they were full of the Spirit. And when we see what Philip does as he participates in this journey, that Holy Spirit is the vital ingredient. That Holy Spirit is the Spirit that guides him to the Ethiopian. That Holy Spirit is the Spirit that is working while he is praying for healing, while he is sharing that gospel. That's the Holy Spirit that speaks when he opens his mouth. So the real question when we look at this, and if we want to be liberated from the burden, the question is, am I full? Are we full of the Holy Spirit? Now we could get into big debates about Holy Spirit theology and things like that. We could, but actually the truth is, to be filled with the Holy Spirit is what happens in Acts. And there's very, something very interesting in that passage we just read. Philip is selected because he is full of the Holy Spirit. Fine. But then what happens? The apostles lay hands on them. Now, if you know when the apostles lay hands on, on in the book of Acts, it is to bestow the Holy Spirit on the people that they do. They come and they do it to the Gentiles, they do it all the way through. So there's a question there. Well, if Philip's full of the Holy Spirit, what are they doing? They're refilling him. They are filling him again and again. I had a really good talk just recently, and it was just one of a series, but I only managed to get to one because I was working on the other days. And he was talking about baptism. He was talking about becoming a follower of Jesus. And he said, well, there's four things, really. There's repent, and there's believe, and there's a water baptism, the water baptism we do here today. And then there is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There is the filling of the Holy Spirit. And, of course, Jesus promises that. He says, you know, uh, and John the Baptist says, I baptize you with water. Jesus will baptize you with more than that, with the Holy Spirit. So there's those four things. And this talk was very interesting. He said, we have in our head orders. We like orders, don't we? When you repent, then you believe, then we baptize you with water, then the Holy Spirit will come. But the book of Acts throws that completely in the air. Just a few pages on from here, chapter 10, they're preaching the good news to the Gentiles. The Holy Spirit falls on the Gentiles. And the disciples go, oh, well, maybe we better baptize them with water. Even when in the passage we're in, we see... Uh, Simon the sorcerer, we see him believe and then he's baptized. But actually we then realize later on that he hasn't repented. He repents later when they find out what's going on in his life and in his head. My story was similar. I, I was baptized. I wasn't a believer. But then I came to believe and I received the Holy Spirit. I couldn't tell you the order in which that happened. But actually I didn't come to repent until a number of months, almost years later. So there's no strict order on these things, but they are all things that we need to do. And today we do water baptism. And if you've not been baptized with water, Jesus encourages us as we should. All the disciples were baptized 
in water. They continually baptized. We see this throughout Acts. They baptized in water. They continued to baptize. It is part of that story. And so two people are going to be baptized. It's going to be a wonderful morning. But if you're a person thinking, actually, I should be baptized, then come and talk to John. You know, if there's nothing holding him baptized, and be baptized. I'm not suggesting necessarily this morning. We will be doing more. But if you want to do this morning, if you think you should, then I've actually bought spare clothes, believe it or not. But, you know, that's not necessary, but it, it is a possibility. But you should be baptized in water. But we should also be full of the Holy Spirit. And, of course, we see Jesus who goes down into the water in his baptism of John, and he comes up and the Holy Spirit descends on him. And that is the point his ministry starts. His ministry starts from that moment, the Holy Spirit. He starts to participate in something that God is doing. He's already been participating in many ways, but he is now at this moment participating in this mission that is going on. And it is that Holy Spirit that takes the burden from it. It's not for us to do. It's for us to be available. It's us to be willing. And it's for God to fill us and to lead us. And we'll be talking in a few weeks, we'll be talking about wisdom again. We talked about wisdom before. That wisdom is that Holy Spirit speaking to us. And we see that in Philip. But we need to be full of it. So this morning, you know, we're going to go on. We're going to have a song. We're going to pray. We're going to baptize people in water. But if there's anybody here who just thinks, I'm not full of the Holy Spirit. I don't remember being full of the Holy Spirit. Or I have been before, but I want to be again then come and somebody will pray with you. Because we need to be people. If we're not going to carry a rucksack that says evangelism, we're going to need the Holy Spirit to be taking us out in our streets, in our workplaces, and saying, I think we should just go to the water cooler in five minutes' time and go and see what God's up to at that point and that place. But we need the Holy Spirit to do that. So if that is you, I welcome you to come and pray with anybody. We're going to sing a song. And I say, you know, if, if you're thinking, oh, that's not the sort of thing we do in this church. Actually, the book of Acts is full of it. It's cram-packed with it, and we have to get with it and just let the Holy Spirit do what he wants to do in our lives. So do that. So I invite you, as I say, to, to come up. The band, I was going to invite the band up, but the band seemed to already be there. So that's okay. Um, we're going to sing a song, and then we move on. So, Father God, I thank you that you came to call us and we just thank you Lord Jesus that you came for one thing and that was to bring us to God so Lord Jesus we thank you you sent your spirit we pray now that your spirit would come in this place and that you would fill us afresh you would pour out your spirit upon us and fill us and as you fill us Lord that we Pray that we would be available and we would be willing. And that we would see what we read in our own lives as your spirit works, as we come to participate in what you're doing in the world to which you invite us to come into. So Lord Jesus, we pour your spirit out in this place as we worship you. Amen.